Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And I'm Eric, not on an Urban Legends episode. Whoa, Eric, what are you doing here? Well, a few months ago, I think, on an episode, I said a reference to this movie, Ben Dazzle Room 6, where Angela Lansbury is a witch and she transforms a whole museum of armor to fight the Nazis. And you two were like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, myth movie night, let's do it. <laughs> For your birthday, no less. Yeah, I'm so excited. I feel so old on this day that is definitely my birthday we're recording on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, does it make you feel less old knowing that this movie turned 50 last year? Wow. No. Or maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I watched this movie a lot as a child. Like, I've probably seen this on the upwards of at least two dozen times. It was a classic, well-used VHS in our house. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it makes me feel older or younger. Okay. Well, fair enough. I wanted to see. Eric, can you start by giving us our two-minute summary of this movie? Yes, I will do my best to do it in two minutes. This movie goes through a variety of locales, themes, sure genres. So I will I will sum them all up as quickly as possible. And uh, I mean, there's barely a plot. It's more of a bunch of set pieces. So I think I can do it. I think I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Never done this before. You got this, bud. So it is 1940. It's the Battle of Britain, World War II. You've got three children. They're named Charlie, Carrie, and Paul. They are evacuated from London, I believe, during the Blitz. Seems about right. And they end up with a reluctant Miss Elegantine Price. And she is a witch secretly. They observe her being a witch. At first, they're going to run away. Then they're like, oh, she's a witch. Maybe this will be a fun vacation. So they decide to stay. She is a witch in training, though. She's like sending letters and getting like mail order witch classes. She's a correspondence school witch. It's a correspondence school for witches in the north of England, I guess. And so she decides that she's going to find the guy that can like train her into being a full witch. She makes a bed knob on a broom, uh, no, a bed knob on a bed, not on a broomstick. That comes later. Actually, it already happened, but she'll, she'll be on the broomstick throughout the film. The bed is now essentially their TARDIS. It's what makes them travel through space and time. Sure can. And dimensions in some senses. They go to Portobello Road and they meet this guy. He is clearly a con man. He's doing a three shell game. We'll get through this real quickly. Portobello Road, just an extremely long dance number. Sure is. They're just like, let's show off all of the different dances and ethnicities of England. Here they all go. They'll each get two minutes to show off a dance. It sure is safe to be doing loud and bright things in London right now. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, just absolutely unhinged stuff. Then they get the guy who's clearly a con man. He's just kind of along for the ride now. He is the dad from Mary Poppins, I think. Mm -hmm. They travel to a lagoon where they win a dance contest. Just wild. Then they go to a cartoon island where they have to get this medallion from this lion who is like the king of the jungle or something along those lines. Don't worry about it. They play a football match, I believe, a soccer match, Mm -hmm. and they win. They get the medallion and they book it out of there. 
They get back to England. The Nazis are invading via the shore and they run to the local museum that has a bunch of old knight's armor. She magically animates all of the knight's armor and the armor fights off the Nazis while she flies around on, on a broom. And that is pretty much the whole movie. Yeah. It certainly is the whole movie. And then the final scene is the the man who runs the correspondence school, who he's fallen in love with Angela Lansbury, leaving for war. And yeah. being like, I'll be back. And I'm like, I don't know if you will. They were like, are you going to be our new dad? He's like, yeah, but first I got to go to war. Exactly. Also, they have parents. Their parents are just in London. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like heavily implied that they might have been orphans, but I'm not I sure. I sure hope so, because I was thinking about... <laughs> I hope they were orphans. If they weren't orphans, <laughs> this is fucked up. Also, I'm just doing some quick pocket math. He was born in 1917. This film came out in 1971. So, like, quite old to be going off to war, even, even during World War II. Like... Yeah. Yeah, so all of the old men... Eric, you may be forgiven for not knowing the context of, like, Second World War era England. Which, like, we'll talk about that in a second, because, like, how are children watching this supposed to know the context for World War Two? Julia, I couldn't tell you the audience for this movie if I tried. <laughs> it was highly entertaining, and I'm really glad we watched it. I mean, it, w- it, was, it was definitely Midwestern children in the 90s. <laughs> Young boys in Ohio. Well, the home guard, Eric, are like the people who were not sort of like, quote unquote, fit enough to go abroad to war. That's why they're all old men. Because they they show up in the first half, too, where they're just kind of walking around the cities. Yeah, exactly. And so they, you know, that was kind of how the movie begins. It's like, oh, you know, we're checking on our preparations. Like, did you paint all the signs over? Like, you know, do you have your supplies? Is like the air raid shelter okay? They were like civilian, a civilian corps. I think they were part of the army, but they they were like people who not like the fittest and finest, yeah. um, which is why he was, yeah, he, you know, he was like a, you know, middle-aged to older man. And that's why it's all a bunch of grandpas who I thought at the beginning of the movie, they had like a marching number. I was like, maybe some of them were in World War II because they produced <laughs> they this movie back. in the late 60s. And if all of these men are in their 60s and 70s at the time, they could conceivably have been older army enlistments in the World War II. Yeah. I had assumed at the beginning of the film that these characters were like, veterans from the great war and they were like well we can't fight in this one but at least we're gonna we're gonna help out a little bit i think you're right julia yeah i I think i think there there were both are probably true yes excellent now eric i have to know what what was your favorite part of this movie as a kid like when you rewatched it what was the part where you're like shh shh shut up it's coming okay so this is a weird like mandela effect thing i had with this i swear there was a dance number with like the russian guys who like do the arm cross and do the leg kicky dance. Yeah. And that just wasn't in the movie. (laughs) I swear that it was. So I don't know what movie I saw someone dancing like that in it. But I do like, I do really like just like, I mean, my favorite part, it's hard to say what my favorite part is. I think that it's just this piece together strange thing (laughs) is my favorite part. Like, it's just like a dance thing, a cartoon, essentially like Jason and the Argonauts, but Disney and just like a bunch of like strange, like, confluence of just things thrown together be like kids would like all of these things but we need to fit it into like 70 to 80 minutes yeah oh it was a full two hours but i felt every minute of it was it a full two hours i mean it Mm -hmm. goes by so quick oh yeah (laughs) would having some context for this film help us better understand it do we think yes yes 
Okay, so basically, this was a movie that there was a lot of problems in making Mary Poppins in the early 60s, right? So they were like going through negotiations, they were having a real hard time with it. And so like kind of production on that stalled. So they began to develop something very similar, which was Bedknobs and Broomsticks. So basically, also a book series by a female author centers around young children and their like kind of magical caretaker music by the Sherman Brothers, which like this movie... The music's fine. The music's okay. Like, it's Sherman Brothers, but it's, like, not any of their real bangers. Yeah. It's it's no Chim Chimney. It's no super califragilistic espialidocious. It just no isn't. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which yes. was my worn to shreds mm. VHS in my house growing up. I get you. So, it's fine. I was like, I feel like Angela Lansbury is being underutilized. It's okay. We get more of her later in Disney. It's fine. So they really, really liked Bedknobs and Broomsticks, but they liked Mary Poppins more. Like Walt Disney was like, I want Mary Poppins. <laughs> and so when they finally were able to move ahead with Mary Poppins, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, because it was so similar, kind of got shelved. And it didn't see the light of day for like 25 years. Whoa. Oh my God. That's wild. Yeah. Actually, originally, Julie Andrews had been offered the role of Miss Price, but turned it down because she was like, I already, guys, I already played Mary Poppins. Like, I don't, I don't really need to be like this kind of typecasted person. Like, I'm good, actually. And when she changed her mind, they offered it to Angela Lansbury. And Angela Lansbury was like, I love it. Let's do it. I just got to say, Dame Angela Lansbury, 96 years old if she is a day, living her life out in England. God bless her. Yeah. Bless her. Bless her heart. Those cheeks, man. I've only really seen older Angela Lansbury. Like, those are the pieces that really stick with me. And damn, her face really looks like that. Like, she looks like the teapot she plays in Beauty and <laughs> the Beast. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I also liked it during the film. He referred, like, the professor referred to her as this young lady. I'm like, she's like 40 years old in this film. I don't know if that's a young lady anymore. I also don't love that the plot of the movie is she wants, like, a career to help with the war effort. And then a guy cons her. And then she's like, that's okay, you're cute. And then in the end, her workshop gets destroyed. And she's like, okay, I'll be a mom now. I'm like, okay. I mean, we don't, all right, I guess. Very, very post war ads. 70s ideals being displayed right it there. It sure is, Eric. Sure yeah, is. it's a it's a real confluence of those two things. Yeah. I, I'm just like, Disney loves a con man character, don't they? They do. They do. Disney sure does. Like, there's that whole scene where he, like, opens up the, like, big briefcase and it folds out, like, four different times, which is a great practical effect, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I really, really liked that. I think it's because con man is, like, something that an adult can find villainous because adults hate losing money. Mm -hmm. Famously. And children understand playing a trick is bad. Yeah. But it's never like too nefarious. So I think it's like this perfect kind of middle ground for like villain archetype where it's just kind of like, well, it's bad, but it's not like I've murdered someone bad. Yes. Sure. Totally. I mean, Eric, the people who are bad in this film are the Nazis. Exactly. Which fully exactly. show up in this, in this film. Which like we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, but... They, like, start seeding the Nazis in right away. Yeah. Like, the fourth word in the movie is Nazi. And, and it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, village man who's painting over the road signs. Like, okay, I get that, you know, you've been told not to tell anyone where the directions are. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, the specter of Nazis hangs over this film. I didn't expect them to show up in a U-boat. Yeah. There are Nazis in the opening credits. Yes, there yeah. are. There opening are. Opening credits. Which is very, like, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, like, medieval tract. Like, the credits are beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they're very nice. Yeah, this movie and uh, the Coen Brothers Hail Caesar surprise U-boats. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> Both movies true. where you're just like, didn't expect a U-boat. And then a U-boat. And here we are. Most times the Nazis are depicted in, in movies these days. I'm like, did you really need a Nazi in this movie? Like, if a Jew can't punch a Nazi in the movie, why is the Nazi there? Is mm-hmm. kind of what I think. Yeah. But in this case, like, okay, all right. Like, I get it. I, I get why they were there. Something I didn't expect to really like in this movie was the idea that the magic, the spell that Angela Lansbury tries to do was just kind of random words. And I thought that was really fun. And the fact that she can like cast spells on kind of mundane objects and there is no like inherent magic to her necessarily. Like, it, I don't know, it's kind of maybe implied that like either it was dumb luck or maybe she's just particularly good at it. But that was really cool. I loved as a kid, Diane Duane's So You Want to Be a Wizard series, which is like you find a book in a library and if you study long enough and know the words, you can become, you know, magical. And that idea really speaks to me as opposed to the kind of chosen one, you know, or like inherent magic um, archetype. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is really interesting. And I think that's kind of highlighted much later in the film where the professor like is like, I don't believe in magic, but I do need to turn myself into a rabbit right now and like manages to do it, even though he was a con man selling these like what he assumed were fake spells to people. Yeah. So I think it's like really interesting to be like, yeah, anyone can do magic if they believe in it. And that's the like point of the first song of the movie Mm -hmm. which is like the age of not believing Mm -hmm. if you can move past the age of not believing and like actually believing in a thing you can do the thing which i think is like a fun message for a disney film yeah I do like that this is a very different character from Mr. Banks, yeah. too, in playing that. And I'm just like, all right, my guy, this is a more fun character. I personally, much like Disney, also love a con man character. So I'm like, mm, you're a fraud. And I love that for you. He's a heart of gold, which I think really makes it sweet. He also spends a lot of time like on all fours with his butt in the air. Um, sure does. Having yep. just been turned into a man from a rabbit. And I'm like, wow, OK, <laughs> it's unexpected. Can we talk about the background magic of this film? Yeah. Because it got like weirdly dark at one point. And I know like this is a movie where Nazis are the bad guys. So it is going to have like an inherent darkness. And it's also the shadow of the Blitz and World War II. Yeah. But there is one point when they're talking about where they meet like the book man and he has the other part of the book. And he's describing, like, where these spells came from. And it's from, like, a secret wizard or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, so, like, the last uh, the last spell that this guy was working on was he was doing experiments on animals to make them more like humans. And then the animals realized that they were being experimented on. And so they killed him. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yep, okay. That guy, yeah. also just in a very creepy, like, I don't know, basement of a tenement yeah. building, it just a very spooky vibe. And then the stories he's telling, also extremely spooky. Just like, oh, wow, this is extremely weird. I want to talk about, is this a specific genre of like, we send children to the country to escape the war and then magic things happen to them? Because like, that's the same plot as Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. For people who were adults in the 60s, they were of an age to do that or know people who did that. Or I think there was like a kind of romanticized feeling and notion of that time for kids where obviously it was very, you know, scary and and displacing and all of that, especially for these city kids who have like never left London. And we got to talk about the the sort of like incredible, like soot faced makeup of of these children (laughs) and their wild London accents. I'm sure they're like trained in 
acting these chill like they're child actors and, yeah. and to put on those accents i was just very proud of them but yes it is a genre and i think displaced to the country removed from your normal life it's the real kind of pastoral fantasy of england in so many ways that's something where you know magic is not too far of a reach yeah this one is less portal magic style than let's say the lion the witch in the wardrobe but magic existing in the world makes sense. And I mean, we do go to kind of like a magical island where there's animated lions that were yes. uh, repurposed from other Disney pro products. But Very much so. Oh, every single animal. I'm like, I've seen you in a different film. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, get get them. I mean, Disney did this a lot. I think Babu from the Jungle Book is also used in another animation. Like a lot of the, 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 the original styles were then just drawn over. So very common thing. I love that this one where they're like, Drop them all in. We got them all. We're gonna we're gonna use all of the animals we've ever used and throw them on here. Put a medallion on. Different guy now. <laughs> but uh, going back to this kind of portal fantasy or magical fantasy in order to escape reality, I think it's like a really interesting way to deal with, like you were saying, Amanda, the trauma of war and like displacement and you know being removed from your home to put you somewhere safer. Yeah, but it's still like an unknown. I think that's a really interesting genre, and I think we don't have that as often now because we are now pretty far removed from World War II. Yeah. But I, I think it would be cool to like see more of that, I suppose. And I'm sure that there is like an event or a setting that we could make it a little bit more modernized. Make nowadays. summer camps not about getting murdered by a guy in a scary mask and about finding the magic within yourself. There is a place that kids go their parents aren't with them. They get sent off there. I mean, there, there, there's definitely there's definitely places we could we could kind of recreate these stories without having the 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 fog of war looming in the distance. Yeah, mm -hmm. at least for us Americans, I I felt a couple times like early in the film, you know, Angela Lansbury kind of like stops to pick up a package with the sort of like general store manager who's also you know taking in all these kids from the train. And the manager is like, well, you know, Angela Lansbury, like you have a house all to yourself. You know, everyone has to do their part. Like it's a law. Like you have to take some children because you have a house. Uh, have and I felt myself children. as an American, I was like, you can't tell me what to do. And then I was like, no, this is this is what we should be doing. And so I think we would have to have a like culture and country of supporting, you know, like refugees and people in need and community care and all of that before we allowed a narrative like you're describing, Julia. But I, I want that. And I want to be the kind of place where like, of course, you have a place to go and maybe it's even such a kind of escape and you're so supported that, you know, you can have a bit of adventure while you're there. Also, imagine like your children get sent out of the city to live in the country and like you don't get to like know anything about this person that is taking them in. Yeah. You don't know the like state of their home or like who they are as a person. I'm just like, uh, I'm not a parent, but uh. yeah. <laughs> no, it, it was it was intense. Yeah. Well, let's go get some more popcorn, get some more soda and get back to our movie talk after this refill. I've got a freezy and I put some tequila in it. <laughs> Hooray. Hey, it's Julia and welcome to the refill. I made little like tea sandwiches. I have never made these before. I hope they're okay. I bet you'll enjoy them. Even if you aren't enjoying the little tea sandwiches that I cut the little crusts off and everything and turn them into little triangles, I bet you're going to love our Patreon content. And we want to welcome our two newest patrons, 
Claire and Robert. They join the incredible people who help make this show a reality each and every week, such as our supporting producer-level patrons Alicia, Anne, Brittany, Daisy, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Jessica Kinzer, Jessica Stewart, Nieselkins, Lily, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Rico Like, Captain Jonathan, Malachi Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, and of course, our Legend-level patrons. They have like a full tea service, and I don't know where they got it from, but it's very cool. Ariana, Audra, Bex, Chibi Yokai, Clara, Iron Havoc, Morgan, Mother Viking, Sarah, and Be Me Up Scotty. Thank you all so much. And if you would like to join our Patreon and get awesome rewards like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic for every episode, and a bunch of interesting stuff, including a bonus Urban Legends every single month, you can go to patreon.com slash spirits podcast and join us today patreon.com slash spiritspodcast. Amanda recently recommended to me a show that I'm going to now recommend to you. And if you exist on the internet, you have probably seen all of the articles about The Bear on Hulu. As someone who worked in the service industry, specifically as a waitress and a cheesemonger, woof, that show is a lot, but in a very good way. And it's very well done. And I think that you person listening to this would also super enjoy The Bear on Hulu. Go check it out. And while you're checking things out, I would love if you checked out one of the newest shows at Multitude, Games and Feelings. Games and Feelings is an advice podcast about games. Amanda has been on it. I have been on it. It's a lot of fun. Question Keeper, Eric Silver, and a revolving cast of guests answer your questions at the intersection of fun and humanity since, you know, you gotta play games with other people as a human. They talk about all different types of games, video games, tabletop games, party games, laser tag, escape rooms, game streams, D&D podcasts, the companies, the workers that make these games, anything you can think of. How do you convince people who have only played Monopoly to play a new board game that you grabbed at the game store? Is an escape room a good third date? I don't think so. What makes a video game cozy and do we have any recommendations? They answer any and all questions as long as they are games related. And if you like what you hear and you want to level up your emotional intelligence stat, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Friday. That's Games and Feelings. Check it out. We are sponsored this week by Calm. And I want you to focus for a moment. How are you feeling? How are things going? If your answer is anything less than amazing, I want to help you. Our partners at Calm have the tools you need to feel your best. They are the number one mental wellness app, and they give you the tools that you need to improve the way that you feel. You can help reduce your stress and anxiety through guided meditations. You can improve your focus with curated music tracks. You can rest and recharge with their sleep stories, which we absolutely love here on the podcast. They even have these new daily movement sessions, which are designed to help you relax your your body and uplift your mind. And those are my personal favorites lately because uh, sometimes I forget that I need to like move my body around sitting at a desk all day and Calm really helps with that. So for listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com spirits. Go to calm.com slash spirits for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash spirits. Now it is the heat of summer here in New York and the temperatures are really, really high. And the worst thing in the world, for me at least, is to sleep in a bed that is just too hot. It's just too hot. 
Thankfully, Brooklinen has me covered, I mean literally covered, with their best-selling and award-winning bedding that is designed with light, breathable fabrics that keep you cool all night long. Brooklyn is the home to the internet's favorite sheets, and by working directly with suppliers, they cut the luxury markups and pass those savings back to their customers. So you get their incredible products at a reasonable price. They also are constantly launching new products, new colors, new patterns all the time for their sheets, their towels, their robes. And they have a bunch of like fun limited edition collections that sell out in as little as a month. And if you're not sure where to start, you can shop with ease thanks to Brooklinen's online quiz. Whether you're looking for the perfect set of cooling sheets, lightweight towels, breathable loungewear, their quiz is the best place to find a curated list of high quality products best suited for your unique preferences. So head over to Brooklinen today to keep your cool at home and on the go all summer long. Go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code SPIRITS to get $20 off plus free shipping on your purchase of $100 or more. That's B-R-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter the promo code SPIRITS for $20 off plus free shipping. And for those of you listening in New York, you can both see and feel the comfort in real life. You can now shop Brooklyn in sheets, towels, and more in-store in Williamsburg and the West Village. Check it out, Brooklyn, and they're the curators of comfort. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sometimes it feels like we don't take the best care of our brains. I mean, I'm speaking for myself personally, but I'm sure you probably feel the same way sometimes. And how we take care of our minds really does affect the way that we're living. So it's really important for us to invest time and care into keeping our minds as healthy as we keep our bodies. And I find that the best way of doing that is by going to therapy. And BetterHelp Online Therapy is a great way of getting your therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, live chat sessions with your therapist. And it's great because if you don't want to see anyone on camera, you don't have to. Sometimes seeing someone on camera makes me super anxious and I don't want to have anxiety going into my therapy sessions. That seems a little counterintuitive. The nice part too is that it's also much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, which is not really how the real world works when you have to go to people's offices and then if you don't like that therapist, it's really hard to switch therapists. BetterHelp takes care of all of that. And our listeners get 10% off off their first month at betterhelp.com slash spirits. That is betterhelp.com slash spirits. Check it out. And now let's get back to the show. All right. So for this movie, I was doing a morning watch because I don't think I could have convinced Jake to watch this with me. I somehow convinced Kelsey to watch it. I think I I think I had the leverage of like, I love this movie as a child. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it won't be. It's not one of these weird movies that I sometimes take you to the art house theater. And it will. I mean, well, it was definitely no. a weird movie, but it wasn't like the current weird movies that I usually take her to. It's weird through the context of time yes. rather than artistic choices. Mm -hmm. What did you think? She liked it. She liked it overall. But I mean, it's definitely showed its age in ways of most other Disney films have it, I would say. Even Mary Poppins, I feel like I haven't seen it some time, but feels like because it's a beloved classic, it holds up to modern sensibilities a little bit better than this one does. Mm. I think the main thing this movie has where he gets it is the very long dancing that Portobello wrote. It's just extremely <laughs> long and is? no plot is developed throughout any of the dances. I will say... Yes, that was an extremely long scene. And I also think that the soccer scene was way too long. Those were the scenes where I'm like, can we, guys, 
We gotta move on. We gotta move on. I felt every moment of the animated section, maybe because that's just like not a thing I go to often for entertainment, but I was like, good God, why is this happening? Yeah, I think the animated one at least has like the benefit of children being like, this is fun. I don't know. Maybe kids in the 70s saw a bunch of people dancing. I was like, this is equally as fun as a cartoon, but I don't know. Probably not. But yeah, for an adult, neither are particularly great in terms of length. Yeah. I just wanted more lyrics to Portobello Road. Mm. Like, I really was enjoying the, like, ways that people are conning you song. Yeah. Uh, And then it just happened to be that dance number and everyone was in uniform. And I'm like, what is happening? Why aren't you guys fighting in the war? Why are you here? Exactly. It felt so much like one of those grand old Hollywood movies where it's like, we have 150 extras on payroll and big sets and we're going to use them, you know, no matter what we say. Maybe they were trying to sort of bridge that gap. Like Mary Poppins has, you know, grand numbers and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang has, you know, big group scenes. Like, I guess it's not totally out of character, but I was still thinking to myself, like, they could have saved a lot of money by uh, cutting down this Portobello Road scene (laughs) or like cutting down the amount of animation. But I I'm glad to hear that it had such an impact on you, Eric, and, you know, such a big part of your family life. So this was a morning watch, Julia. So I think you were about to describe a drink for us. I was. Much like Portobello Road. (laughs) You just, you see something and you're, you just get distracted. Yeah, no, it was a Sunday morning. Jake was outside watering the lawn while I watched this in classic Jake form. And I had some cold brew that I got from my local farmer's market and just like a little bit of bourbon, a tiny bit of bourbon, a little bit of bourbon. That's funny because prepping for this episode, I had forgotten that I wasn't going to have to bring a drink recommendation as we normally do for our hometown urban legends episode. So I had recently had like a coffee liqueur bourbon drink Ooh. when I was out somewhere I was going to suggest trying one of the don't have a specific recipe so so there you go so there's there's a little drink recommendation that pretty much uh matches Julia's uh drink that yeah. she had while, while watching honestly uh cold brew concentrate where you're supposed to water it down a little bit like a one-to-one ratio yeah I just put in a little bit of coffee creamer and then I mix that bad boy up and then I'm good to go for the day yep delicious Can we? Okay. So, Amanda, you were talking earlier about the spell that Angela Lansbury is trying to research that was supposed to be the final spell, which is going to help her fight the Nazis. Substitutionary locomotion. Which is a great thing that I was like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm, I'm like, I know locomotion means movement. What the fuck do those two words together mean? Right? Yep. And then she gets the spell after she has taken the the necklace off of the Lion King, uh, which, by the way... Well, not the Lion King. That's a different... The, <laughs> the King Lion. He'll come later. Did you know that that actor is the guy who was the original voice of Scrappy-Doo and also Grimace from all of the McDonald's commercials? How could we possibly know no! that? No! <laughs> Julia, I was going to say from the Wikipedia article, did you know that the clergyman who has like a weirdly prominent sort of like one-liner in the beginning of the film in deleted scenes also is like a romantic rival for Angela Lansbury, like likes her and wants to marry her for her property. Yeah. Which is not kind to clergy, I guess, but... <laughs> that's That's great. I love that. Anyway, going back to the spell... They do the spell and like there's a whole like big dance number kind of thing. This is their uh, super califragilisticexpialidocious, basically. Mm -hmm. Great. And all they do is make shoes dance and move. And I'm like, 
how the fuck is this going to stop the Nazis, guys? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like racking my brain. I'm like, how is this going to stop the Nazis, though? Your dancing stockings are not going to stop the Nazis. None of us could have seen a museum of old armor uh, really come to life because you guys all know that armor famously a good offensive weapon mm-hmm. surely not built to to save the like meat sacks wearing it no 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 useful for weaponry that was also another scene where i'm like all right this fight with the armor of the nazis is going a little too long i'm glad angel lansbury's on a horse but like beyond that you know i'm <laughs> i'm kind of okay yeah yeah also don't understand how they were holding stuff because most of like the hand stuff on armor doesn't isn't like full fingers yeah. it's like just the yeah. tops of your fingers so like oh they're throwing spears and stuff who knows it's fine it's they, they it's they, magic they won eric it's magic they won that's all that matters yeah eric they do an entire dance number that is underwater and it's never explained how they're breathing underwater it's magic who cares yeah, yeah. yeah. oh god i just i am happy to report that the song Substitutionary Locomotion does have an extended cut. (gasps) How? And these lyrics are available to us. And as the Wikipedia article says, have been performed by several YouTubers. (laughs) Oh, no. I would just like for each of us to kind of, um, this is like those chain letters from the 90s where it would be like, learn a word a day, like use the word pulmonary in in an email today. Let's all find a line of this song to sort of deliver deadpan to maybe like a friend who's having a problem. Just like hit them with your wisdom. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Cosmic wizards of timeless times teach my tongue the transcendental rhymes. Hmm. It sounds deep. It sounds like it has some meaning behind it. I mean, Amanda, mystic power that's far beyond the wildest notion. It's so weird, so feared, yet wonderful to see. Substitutionary locomotion come to me. Yeah, it's true. It can cause the forest, Julia, to keep our country free. (laughs) Oh, no. It's a big claim. (laughs) It's so weird, so feared, yet wonderful to see. Yep. Substitution locomotion come to me. There you go. See, the key to guide the tide that's stronger than the ocean. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I want substitutionary locomotion. Yeah, I I think here, to keep your cover, you can't say a line that includes the phrase (laughs) substitutionary locomotion. I don't know. That's the problem. Anything just before that line, that phrase, put it in an email today. Mm -hmm. Only one precise solution is key. Yep. Substitutionary locomotion, it must be. It's true. I feel like you have to put that as a PS at the end of your email where it has to say some line referencing substitutionary locomotion. I'm now just imagining, and I hope this was real, but it probably wasn't, like the 90s message boards and forums and just like really gaudy signature JPEGs. Oh, yeah. Like where people had like a whole nice block of pixels full of just some weird art. Yeah. Just the big Disney servers. And there's one uh-huh. thread that's all about bed knobs of Roopsticks. And all of those people have just like a, one of these lyrics in like the, a very ugly script font with a gradient behind it. That is what I am now imagining. Eric, if I know anything about the internet, I know that any time there was a thread referencing Mary Poppins or even kind of hinting at Mary Poppins, like talking about like a bag with, you know, a bag that can hold anything or like an umbrella or like a governess yeah. that somebody was like, but I'm the broomstick is actually really better. And um, it, it's like way underrated. And like, yeah. you really got to love it. Incredible. Eric, I have some important information for you. Oh, great. Did you know that... There is a staged musical version of this film. I did know this 
when I looked at the Wikipedia article yesterday. God damn it, Eric. <laughs> only yesterday, but I'm excited. But I only, I only breeze that it existed. What, what facts can you tell me about it? Is there anything interesting there? Yeah, so it made its world premiere at the Theater Royal in August of last year. Wait, it's a new, hold on. It's a new, <laughs> someone. It's a new musical. So someone literally 50 years later was like, you know what the world is now ready for? The Bed Knobs and Broomstick musical. Apparently. So it was on tour throughout the UK and Ireland until May of 2022. Those lucky bastards. I was I was looking to see if there's like any news about it coming to like the United States. I'm sorry, guy, there's no news about that just yet. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. My passport's ready. I'm just gonna wait until they, yeah. they restart it up and I am I'm there. Yeah. I visited a friend who was studying abroad in Buenos Aires at the same time that the Spanish language edition of Next to Normal was playing in Buenos Aires. And I didn't go to see it, but I did see it. And it was great. Nice. Excellent. Nice. I'm just saying, people have traveled for, you know, more frivolous reasons. Yeah. Yes. While I'm deep in the wiki, would, did you guys know that Cindy O'Callaghan, who plays the sister of the children, was a, a working actor for much of her life uh, and then became a child psychologist and is now a practicing child psychologist in Dublin? Wow. Hey, good for her. I love when child actors get like real human jobs afterwards. Well, it seems like a really good career for a kid who's a child actor. Like, hopefully she, you know, she's really like working through her stuff. Yeah. I also want to point out that this movie did win an Academy Award for <laughs> Best Visual Effects. Sure did. In the 70s, it was very impressive. There were a lot of visual effects. I mean, like Academy Award winning bed knobs and broomsticks <laughs> is what we should have led with at the start of this episode. Do you know what we haven't spoken about yet? A lot. The cat. The cat has the greatest pet name I've ever heard in my entire life, which is Cosmic Creepers. And Angela Lansbury was like, they're like, oh, what's the name of the cat? And she's like, oh, that's silly. I just call him like, I'm not going to assign him a name. I call him the name he came in with, Cosmic Creepers. And I was like, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's like, are you just going to call a cat? Are we going to do like a, a breakfast at Tiffany's thing? Nope. His name is Cosmic Creepers. Yeah. It is really good. They imply that the professor sent that to her like, but they were like, oh, he sent you this long package that we find out as a broom. And then they were like, didn't he send you a cat last time? Where the fuck did he get this cat from? Did he just pick it up off the street and somehow send it to her, like off of Portobello Road? I mean, I think it's pretty established. You could definitely get a cat at Portobello Road <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. It looks like a real fucked up cat, too. So I was thinking the cat was a person the whole time. And the movie ended and I'm like, hope the cat's not a person. <laughs> <laughs> That's the subtext you really got to look for is like, oh, that cat is cursed the whole time. And they just never they just never resolve that that C plot at all. Yeah. You know what, Amanda? That's a real 90s kid thing, because after yeah. watching and falling in love with uh, the cat slash boy from Hocus Pocus, uh, I yeah. understand and I feel you. And they had similar energy. They really did. And the cat was like it was the most puppet ass looking cat I've ever seen in my life. Which like. It was a good puppet because it looked like the real cat that they used for the real shots. And I'm like, yes. Okay. You got both a fucked up puppet and a fucked up cat. I love that for you. It's a great puppet that looks so realistic. But luckily, the cat is also real weird looking. <laughs> Something that really kind of twisted my brain. You know, those memes. I don't know why I'm thinking so much about early 90s, like email memes, but the meme that was like, you know, this historical figure lived at the same time as this historical figure. Oh, yes. And if you know them in different contexts, it, you know, it can be really mind bending. I hate to tell you that George Lucas began working on Star Wars the year this movie came out. <laughs> and, wow. and that just really, if that doesn't tell you wow. a lot about the 70s, I, I don't know what does. Oh, 
God. Star Wars came out six years after this film. And man, did our technology get better, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the visual effects one-to-one. <laughs> I know Star Wars was like very, you know, pushing boundaries, and this was a period film, yeah. um, you know, that was set 30 years before it premiered, but still just wowie. I will say, like, I do find some of the, like, effects very charming in a way. Yes. Like, there's the scene where he is taking them to Portobello Road, and you see, like, a transition from what is clearly a painted backdrop. Yeah. And then it transitions into a tunnel, again, painted. But then there's visuals of, like, actual film happening down the tunnel. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, that's, like, really quaint. That's, like, a very, like, good way of doing the thing that you were trying to do without creating, like, an entire soundstage of World War II London, you know? Yeah. 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 And the battle with the armor, while I thought went on too long... Pretty impressive. Pretty like impressive. that, yeah. that was really, it, it looked in a lovely way, like one of those kind of grand Hollywood set piece movies where it's like, wow, they really employed all these horses and camels, huh? <laughs> like it, it felt very grand in a way that I was pretty impressed by. As someone who trained in like museum studies and preservation and stuff like that, watching all of those armors get shot with bullets did upset me quite a bit. Yeah, that's fair. This was just like a broken down castle that they turned into a museum that was just hovering over the hill of this village, which is also buck wild because yeah. that's just how England is, Amanda. It is. And Julia, now it's like a an artifact with additional historical context, which is, you know, it was... The Nazis shot these. It was pinged by German bullets during the Battle of Britain. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. So the way that this article from Observer describes the movie says, bed knobs and broomsticks is just as unhinged as it sounds. <laughs> the 1960s through the 1980s was a period of decline for Disney, and the internal drama at the studio, plus the Mary Poppins-related delays, are evident in bed knobs and broomsticks, a film that's all over the place. At first, it strikes the same chord as Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and then veers into West Side Story territory with extended dance numbers. The scenes where the group travels using Miss Price's magical bed are bizarrely psychedelic a la the tunnel scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, oh, yeah. which premiered the same year. Wow. There's another movie with a similarly like curmudgeonly old man who ends up with some weird magical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was just like a theme, I guess. I, that mm -hmm. was just like, we're just going to impart these children. Yeah into the hands of magical people who don't seem to understand what responsibility is. And at least one thing is going to be like weirdly traumatic. Yeah. Like, I mean, that that scene in Willy Wonka in the tunnel is absolutely unacceptable by modern standards to show to a child. <laughs> yes. Not even, not even close. And a lot of this movie, I don't think it ever gets like terrible for a child to watch. But like, there's some moments where you're like, this is different sensibilities for what kids could handle. I mean, there is a scene where this one, like, weird guy who is working for the bookman, who is also, I guess, a con artist of some kind, comes up and is, like, offering, like, basically the equivalent of, like, Rolexes. They're like, ah, oh, I fell off the back of a lorry. Yeah. And he's like, no, thank you. He's like, maybe this will be of interest to you. And then pulls out a knife on them. Why not? And he's like, mm. yep. 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 That did happen. That man is identified as a SPIV, Ooh. a word I've never heard before. Spiv. And I just want to direct you again to the Wikipedia of SPIV, which shows a man <laughs> in 2011 at a historical reenactment of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to say he is dressed exactly like this guy from the film. So good historical reenactment. That's right, Julia. He is putting his human life to use 
reenacting a spiv from the 40s uh, in 2011. I want to read the whole caption for the photo. Yep. A man dressed as a spiv selling goods, and then in quotes, from the back alley of a lorry. Don't know why that part's in quotes. I guess because it's not real. At a 2011 historical reenactment, complete with a lookout watching for the law. Incredible. That's right. I also want to read this paragraph from the Wikipedia, which is, The crucial difference between the spiv and the classic Hollywood gangster was the degree of sympathy the spiv gained as a intermediary in the transfer of black market goods to dot dot dot, a grateful mass of consumers. That's right, Julia. In- incredible. I... Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, like as as a sort of post-war, like this is kind of anticipating the post-war figure of like, hey, like rationing is happening. I can get you, you know, a thing you're not supposed to have yet. And people are like, yay for me in the way that all of us are happy to, you know, get our like phone screens repaired by guys in the mall, even if it voids our warranty. Yeah. So, yeah, I have no qualms with those guys. You know, they're, oh, they're no. making a living just like me. Listen, man, uh, laws are only laws when they like, you know, uh, don't ooh, go against ooh. the moral compass of society. Exactly. Here we go. <laughs> Eric was giving me a look, being like, where is this going to go? I, I was just so <laughs> excited to find out what Julia's take on the law. <laughs> but it was a good take. Laws are only laws when they should be laws. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's my hot take. <laughs> it's a good thing to break a law when the law's unjust. Exactly. There you go. That was probably what I was trying to say, Amanda. But uh, I said what I said. So I think that's my wholesome message that I took away from bed knobs and broomsticks. Yeah. 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 Incredible. This movie was a lot, Eric, and I'm glad I watched it because it certainly feels like a certain like place in both our history and Disney history and like the the history of like magic in film. I thought you were going to say man. And I was like, wow, Julia, what an (laughs) assertion. (laughs) Magic in film. (laughs) But yeah, I think this was really, really interesting. And I'm glad that we were able to all watch it together and have hot takes about yeah. it. It's just a fun film. It's weird. Obviously, it's not something for everybody. It's not something everybody needs to rush out. And I'm pretty sure it's on Disney+. Plus. I'm not entirely sure. But I mean, it is just one of those things which is kind of like, what were they up to before like the mouse became the mouse we know today? And it is just a literal machine that churns out Star Wars, a Pixar film, a, a, a Marvel film, and all of that. And this was kind of like, we're just going to do some weird stuff, see what happens. And and sometimes you get a Mary Poppins and sometimes you get a Bedovs and Broomsticks. Yeah, yeah. You can put the Disney magic into anything, but it doesn't mean that the product is always going to be super magical. Yeah. Exactly. I can't say I'll watch it again necessarily, but I am glad I did. So, Eric, thank you for bringing it to us today. I might just like lovingly put it on Portobello Road for like 10 minutes and then yeah. call it a day. That's fair. Yeah. I'm going to read all about kind of Blitz era trains in London because I still don't believe they were able to get a train into London when trains are being used to evacuate children. So sure. TBD on that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And next time you get one half of a magical tome that cuts off exactly at the spell you need the most to defeat the Nazis and save your country, remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Incredible. (laughs) 
Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye.